singer, songwriter, reality star, but you're talking with us for Bust and on the podcast today about grooming and about your experience with child marriage. When you were 16, you were married to your teacher, actor, Doug Hutchison. He was four years older than your father who walked you down the aisle. Yep. So you were a 10th grader. <laughs> you didn't know how to drive. No. Mm-mm. Couldn't open a bank account. You couldn't get a wine cooler. Um, couldn't get a Costco card even. Right. <laughs> Last year, <laughs> what can you tell me about that day, the day of your wedding in Nevada? Like, how were you feeling? Oh my God, that was so long ago. Um, 10 years ago. Wow. Um, you know, I, it's so funny when I think back at these moments, I just, I see, I feel like I, I remember it in a skewed way. And I think that has to do with being a, a child, you know, when you look back, like when you're a kid and your brain wasn't developed yet, you have kind of like a different way of remembering it. And for me, I just kind of like remember bits and pieces. I kind of just remember like getting up and feeling excited. I, I, I wasn't nervous. I didn't feel like I didn't want to do it. I just was like, okay, so I was almost on autopilot. So this is, this is what I'm doing today. And then I just kind of remember like, um, very vaguely going through the, the, uh, steps of getting married. And, um, I, I do remember that I was really, really, really worried that I was going to mess up somehow I mean I think that's that's like almost like a so you know like a kid right you just don't want to mess up um and I know that it was so much different for Doug like his his memory of the situation he was just very like it's power imbalance it's such a power imbalance and um yeah so I just kind of remember like I don't know like bits and pieces and I and I was just really nervous and way way in over my head it it shouldn't have happened and he had said in an interview that you met through mutual friends so I'm curious how how is that possible a 16 year old in Seattle how would you have mutual friends with a 50 year old actor in Hollywood he uh was teaching acting classes in LA so I was an you know aspiring to um, do music. I always wanted to do music, but my mom went to school with a mutual friend, um, with, with Doug. And so that's where the mutual friend thing kicked in. And this, this person was very, um, excited to help my mom, like, you know, help me. He was in the music industry. And he said, you know, I know this guy and, um, in Los Angeles, he was in the green mile. He's teaching acting classes. And I think it would be great for Courtney. So that's, that's what happened. And then we started emailing each other and um, the grooming took place immediately during that, you know, the email exchanges. Hmm. And you've, you've said before that your mom had monitored those emails. She was monitoring the emails. Yes. It was under her watch. Um, the media portrayal was pretty vicious. They yeah. Like this child bride, like sex witch. I think they were focusing on the child. I think society was kind of like, now we can, you know, I don't know, like not look at the the person who should be looked at as the 51 year old, but they chose to zoom in and focus in on me. And that was so much pressure because I was 
a child and and then I also felt responsible for the situation and it it's scary that this was only 10 years ago because if this went on today I don't know if it would be acceptable mm -hmm. right but um yeah they just chose chose to focus in on me and um I was the target of everyone's negativity um but I am really um, hopeful because I'm seeing so much of a change now and I'm seeing so much of an awakening in society. And I think it's so important to um, talk about how we, where we were as a society 10 years ago versus today and question ourselves, you know, would we treat a child this way again? Because this happens all the time. This, this grooming thing happens all the time and it's happening today which is really scary and you bring up a really good point about accountability and how you were held to a higher degree of standard than your husband at the time was and you know when i watched when i watched the footage of dr drew and father albert i think even too like years ago when i saw it on tv it was really upsetting to me then and now that i'm older it's even more upsetting because like you said you know your brain doesn't develop until a certain time like your prefrontal cortex is about 25 30 depending on which is your decision making part of your brain and that's why we have laws like you can't marry children and you can't rent a car until you're 25 because you're going to crash it. <laughs> like all, all those laws are there for a reason. And um, when I rewatched some of it, like I said, it was particularly really upsetting. And um, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about Dr. Drew's show. Yeah, I mean, that it's crazy that he's a doctor, right? <laughs> right? You would have a 16 year old on your show, a child and search for cosmetic surgery. I mean, now I kind of just ask myself, why does it even matter if I did have cosmetic surgery? I mean, it's a child. I didn't, it was proven on national TV that I didn't have any cosmetic surgery. Um, but you know, there they were poking around at my tits, 16 years old on TV. And I just, I don't know if that would happen today. If I want to say no, but then, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think that's why we should, you know, talk about it. But um, yeah, it, it, it was, it's, it was traumatizing, really, you know, the whole thing was very traumatizing. Well, he was like having the doctor examine you. He was accusing you of lying at first. I think, yeah, that they were thinking that there were in, implants in there or something and it just turned out to be my muscle but it's like it's a child on it's a child and and I was in a sense I feel like Doug was kind of like a conservator in a way because when I got married I suddenly was like you know because he was a failed actor and then we started getting all these offers and then I was kind of it, it kind of fell on my shoulders like I had to do these things to I don't know earn a paycheck or whatever um oh so, and again I I didn't know how to write a check I didn't know how to do any of that I didn't, I didn't manage any of the money I made it went straight to him and to two managers and stuff so I would just kind of like have to do these things and um you know children don't really think about repercussions I just, mm -hmm. I just um, so, I'm yeah. happy to hear you say to describe him in this way like his career because 
when you met him, now you're you're expressing it like he was a failed actor. But at the time, not not even that long ago, you were taking a lot of blame. You were saying it was your fault that things weren't working out for him. And I, I'm really happy to hear you say that today because I definitely wanted to challenge you on that. Girl, you don't have to challenge me. <laughs> I am woke and I'm exhausted and I, I come to a lot of realizations. Um, and I'm an adult now, you know, even though it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, 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 I was so close to being groomed. I was so close to the source of the toxicity. I was so um, brainwashed. I was so, you know, just whatever he would tell me, I, I would believe. And I think that that's the source of grooming, right? That's that's what, what happens. But um, no, you don't have to challenge me. I am woke. I know exactly what happened to me. And um, I'm, I'm now just starting to kind of go through the healing process of that. And I imagine like being in the pandemic and having all this time with yourself and isolation, you would, and since you only legally were divorced last year, that would give you some time to rethink everything. Definitely. I mean, it, right when the pandemic hit, my divorce finalized and lucky me, I was like, okay, now I'm divorced and I guess I have to go <laughs> lock myself in the house. But I think it was definitely um, a good thing for me because it forced me to look at all of that, you know, the history of, of my traumas. Um, and then in doing that, I started writing my book, which was really an eye opener. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, realizations came in in writing and I'm still writing it's very therapeutic so um yeah definitely the pandemic helped me a lot it's scary that there is still I think it's what 30 30 some states where child marriage is illegal 46 46 states it's just insane like that is insane that that there's loophole in pedophilia, really, is how, is how I feel. You had said something really that struck me on Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew. Um, when he was speaking to you both and asking Doug, like, okay, well, why not wait? Why not date for a while? Wait till she's 18, right? And you had said, you, in, you interjected with, quote, because that's dangerous. If we dated, he could be put in jail. <laughs> that's very true. Um, I think that my, I think that my father would have done something about it. I feel like my father felt very pigeonholed into making the decision to walk me down the aisle. He didn't have to walk me down the aisle, but my mother is the one who signed off on the paper and they were in a really um, vulnerable state in their marriage. And I think that uh, he, he just kind of like, I don't know. I think he just felt like it was gonna happen anyway. Um, but I do think that if we wouldn't have gotten married, he, he probably would have done something. I'm not sure, but I think he, there was a chance. Um, but yeah, if we wouldn't have gotten married, I mean, yeah, but like I just said, it, it's, it's a loophole. That paperwork, that piece of paper is a loophole. You think that your parents are doing the best that, that they know how. And I, I think that given the situation and given my parents, they, they did the best they could. <laughs> I don't really think that they, you know, I, I don't believe in um, looking back and playing God and, you know, changing things. I just think that they did the best they could in the situation. And that's what they did. <laughs> but I would, but that's what they did. Does a child sign the marriage license or is it just the parent? I just remember 
this, I, I had so much to like worry about. Like I, I was getting ready to lose my virginity that night. I mean, it, there was a lot of other things than like, I, I, I wasn't worried about the paperwork. I knew my mom was going to sign it. Like she said, she was going to sign it and she signed it. Um, I don't think that I signed a lot of things, but there were a lot of different emotional things going on in my brain at, at the time, given my age. Did you feel as a 16 year old, like this was too much too fast at that moment? I, I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I, I can't express that enough. I was so overwhelmed. I was so um, just wanting to do everything right. I wanted to not look like a kid. I wanted to look like a grown ass woman. I wanted to um, just be the perfect, have, just have the perfect day for me, for him. A lot of it was for him. Um, I was just so like, I don't know. I did, I didn't, I wasn't like really, I don't think I was processing it in the way that, um, uh, an, an adult would <laughs> obviously. It's interesting. You say that too. Like you wanted to, to be a woman and like, I remember, you know, seeing images of you when you were 16, 17 and thinking to myself, I don't understand the venom towards Courtney. And I see this as a person who I, I can relate to, who is a kid and feels like they're cosplaying as a woman. And I mean that it's the most respectful way. Like it felt like, you know, when you're growing up and you're learning what beauty is or what sexy is to you and you're trying things out and experimenting. It's funny, I was listening to um, the band Lit. And oh, yes. And the song Miserable came on and I was like, oh my God, I don't know if you remember that music video, but it's Pamela Anderson eating men. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, I remember I was like 14 and I thought that is a really good look. And so <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm gonna like get those shoes. Cause you know, those shoe scenes, like platforms and the hair and the makeup. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dress up like that. And it never left. It never left. So <laughs> it's a really funny memory that I had. Um, and I just, I don't know, just thank you, Pam. That was my look. And I thought that that was what a woman looked like. And so I tried really hard to, to emulate that. I never really left. <laughs> Definitely. I thought of Pam and I was like, I wonder if she was a yeah. <laughs> it was that video it was that um miserable video which just like stuck me I was like 14 so yeah I think like on my wedding day you know I woke up fresh and early and I, I had to put on that whole Pam outfit and um yeah I felt like that was a woman <laughs> Pam would do like frosted lips the armband or like the barbed wire tattoo tattoo yeah <laughs> yeah. but mine was like a snake I had this like snake and I thought that that was like really woman like womanly very like Eve <laughs> so I was like I would always wear that but yeah I would wear this like combat suit I feel like it was like a combat outfit yeah like armor and makeup feels yeah. like armor sometimes it feels like something oh. yeah so yeah yeah you're right mm -hmm. you'll have the armband um no but I have a version of it <laughs> it's like up in my closet I have it kind of like on the door <laughs> one other very upsetting thing to me I want to bring up and then we can talk happier things or sad things uh the hilariously unfunny funny or die oh yeah and I cannot watch Seinfeld the same way after seeing that 
Oh, you're so, that is so funny. My boyfriend and I were laying in bed like the other night and I was having kind of like a little bit of like a, I don't know, like a panic attack, you know, like a feeling you can't breathe. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So he's like, I know, let me put on something relaxed. And he puts on Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? You're trying to kill me. <laughs> it's like, it's the summer of George. Oh my God. It was just like, I'm like, you, you are, you don't know what, what you're doing. But um, yeah, I mean, that was a really crazy experience. I mean, I was, what was I like 17 on that show? And I did a few skits with um, Funny or Die, but oh my God, that Jason Alexander thing, just, I just, I just, I don't, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why they thought that was okay. I, I don't know. I think like more, like morally speaking, right? Why, why it was okay. Um, uh, just like, you know, Jason Alexander rubbing his phone on my breast and, um, you know, and then by my head and saying, oh, there's nothing here. And, and then going back down to my boobs and, um, and then later saying that, you know, he can't wait till I'm 18 to come back so he can have his way with me behind the couch. I mean, I was at like 17 and just turned 17. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it just, it's really formed my, my, the way that I, process men now I think like the way I process men is is like I'm I'm uh, I hate men but like I love men at the same time such a conundrum but for me I just like it's just processed it's it's just made me process men so differently um and I I, I can't even I, I just think about you know when I have a child and that child is 16 I mean I just worry about what I'm going to be feeling. I think that a whole nother, a whole nother layer of, of me is going to like show itself. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just scary that like this, this was 10 years ago and, you know, Jason Alexander was, it was his job to rub his phone on my tits and nothing in my brain. And just, I don't know. It's so wrong. It's just so wrong. It's so icky. I don't know. So disgusting. I had never seen it, you know, but just in doing research and like pulling things up and I was like, oh, what's, you did a funnier die sketch. I, you just turned 17. I think it was 2012. And um, it felt like, like these out of touch old men <laughs> yeah. like writing like these stupid fucking sketches for the, it's just like was this way of like you know verbal masturbation like they yeah. were punished for being attractive and degrade you at the same time it was like we're gonna like call them stupid but cloak it as a joke and everyone was laughing on set I can guarantee everyone was just cracking up and I was the I, I was blushing as as a child and um, yeah, I mean, can you imagine what that does to someone's self-esteem, to someone's, you know, self-worth and self-esteem? It's been a lot for me to try to like overcome that. I'm still trying every day. I, you know, because your brain is forming at that age. And these are like your relationships with men and with the world. Really, for me, it was the world because it was internationally being mocked. I just, it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, these are respected people. These are respected artists in like mm -hmm. huge 
television shows or huge movies. And I mean, it hurt me just to see it. Like, like just even looking at my notes, my eyes just got kind of wet, like remembering watching that because it's, it's happening, you know, to you physically, but it's, you feel that connection to the person and you know that it would feel awful. And your husband at the time, Doug, how did he respond to this? Was he concerned? No, he's collecting money. (laughs) Really? I mean, he was, you know, at the end of the day, he would collect his paycheck. And it's important, like you said, like talking about grooming and people really understanding what that looks like, because it can be really insidious and hard to define sometimes. You need to listen to yourself. I mean, no matter what, it, you know, is coming at you or who who's in your life, I really think that listening to yourself is the best medicine, like just listen to yourself and um you know, sometimes when your gut's telling you something, it's it's true and you should listen to it. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to identify grooming. It's really, really difficult too, because I mean, I've just heard recently, like some people go their whole, their entire life without knowing that they were groomed and thinking it was love. Um, and I'm so grateful that like, I, I'm the kind of person who listens to myself apparently. And I, 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 I got, I was able to identify it, but I think too, um, keeping really good people around you. And again, that's really hard sometimes to know who's good, who's not, who's grooming you, who's not. But again, I think that listening to yourself is the number one key to, um, to healing and self-love. That's a big part of emotional intelligence and maturity is like learning to listen to that space more than you listen to somebody else talking you out of it. Yeah. And that's a part of grooming, right? Like that's like when you're trying to um, tell someone who you trust how you're feeling and, and they're just pushing back or you're feeling pushed back or something, they're not really nurturing you the way that they claim that they are. Abusive relationships are all about like somebody outside of you telling you what it feels like, as opposed to you having, being allowed to have that space, somebody else giving you your boundaries. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's something that Doug did a lot of, he, he would tell me, you know, what, what was reality. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that I finally was like, wait a minute. I'm like in the Truman show. Like I'm in like a scary Truman show. This is not <laughs> reality. This is reality. What I'm feeling, this is, this is reality. Um, yeah. And it takes, it, it, it does take emotional maturity to, um, listen to yourself and know, what's what, but it's important to allow yourself that, that time to, to get to that point. Cause not only were you a child, you were a child and a wife, like a 10th grader and a wife, but you were in a relationship with someone who was an alcoholic. I didn't know that at the time. So he, you know, great, great at grooming because I, he, he was perfect. There was nothing wrong with him. He was lovely. He was beautiful. It's a beautiful spirit. And then you know, slowly starts revealing his cards um, because I think it's like safety because you have control over the person. So it's like, now you can kind of like start revealing yourself. Um, But I eventually started realizing he was an alcoholic, I think about a year into our relationship. And it got really, really scary, Um, really scary. Um, The, the, um, 
that the control started showing itself a little more and I, I started feeling just like holy shit like I don't really have any control here like I really have none and um he was really good at you know revealing himself slowly when he chose to my experience with alcoholic actors is that they get really angry when they drink is that something that you experienced yeah he was very angry yeah mainly anger um uh yeah just out just outburst just just so just dripping with venom <laughs> really he was just so mean um you know screaming in my face all night long in my spitting all over me teeth kind of up against my jaw I would be in the corner of the of the room or whatever I was just bunched up crying and I couldn't move I mean when I tried to move he would um you know say what you're gonna hit me you know scream just scream what you know what you're gonna hit me you know call the cops and so I was just I was overpowered it was terrifying this went on through most of our relationship um yeah I don't like talking about it because I get really um you know just those memories it's just uh I still have through a lot of um you know I'm, I'm at the I'm, I'm at the very beginning of like where I was like right now like 10 years ago I feel like I'm like 10 years ago right now like kind of at that point of of healing but yeah it, it was it was uh scary it was so it was so lonely I mean I had such a lonely existence like on the nights where he would decide to just be abusive it was just very lonely because you I felt like I had nobody you know and then on top of that you have the media and you have um you know not not, not knowing who to trust and people are you know talking about you in interviews and you don't know who did and so I just I was just very 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 lonely um and especially those nights that I was being abused it was it, it was it was very lonely um, don't wish it upon anybody. Do you have peers your age that you could talk to even like your friends back home? I know you were homeschooled, but did you have people that were like 16 that you felt safe with? You know, I was just so closed off from everyone. I, I had friends, yes, um, but I just, I feel like I was so groomed that I was just kind of like in a cocoon. Like I'd kind of go into an emotional cocoon and I would stay there, which I still do, <laughs> quite frankly. I still, you know, kind of just like, and I have I have a few, just a very few um, people that I'm open with, but um, no, back then I would just, I would just go like so, so tight into myself. And um, I would, like I said, I, I would, I've said this, but I would um, leave the house in the Hollywood Hills at like two in the morning, three in the morning when it would finally stop and you would fall asleep. And I would take a bottle of wine and I would wander the street, the streets of the Hollywood Hills and I would hide behind trash cans. I would um, cry. I would just, just, I was just so like lonely and scared of the world. And room it was so ugly and I talk a lot about this in my book um but it was just so oh my god it led to some really 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 traumatizing experiences for me and I can imagine like if you're with somebody who's raging out like that and so frightening that it would feel like maybe comforting to drink too 
because you mentioned. Um, yeah, and <laughs> he was, uh, he introduced me to alcohol. I mean, it was like normal, you know, he, he, he started drinking more and more. And then um, for me to just kind of like feel like an adult, um, I would do it too, you know, look at me drinking a glass of wine. <laughs> um, and it just kind of turned into the coping mechanism, the only coping mechanism. Did it start like really early in the day, the drinking? Um, no, it would probably start around six o'clock. Okay. And it, and, and it was normal. It's like, oh, it's not five o'clock. <laughs> it's six o'clock. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and it would make him so mean, like so, so, so mean. Um, and it was, you know, a way for me just to kind of like cope and, and also feel like an adult. It was just a really bad situation. Do you speak to Doug at all anymore? No, no, I do not. No, 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 no. I am moved on. I am, I am a zillion light years away. <laughs> I'm like on my own planet. I, 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 he doesn't exist in my world at all, at all. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about uh, the songs that you also wrote as Ember. It was during the time when, um, Doug moved away. He like moved to Michigan. And again, I already said this to the Daily Beast, but I feel like it was definitely a way to just kind of like be like, oh, okay, let's see if you can survive on your own. I'm going to take off and we're going to see if you can survive without me. And I did. <laughs> so I kind of like created this um, alter ego uh, named Ember and I put my hair red and I just kind of like used it as a, a, I don't know. It was just very, it was very um, healing for me to just let everything out. And a lot of it was very dark and I didn't want to do it under my name because I just don't, you know, want to seem like I'm just this <laughs> wet paper bag. I'm <laughs> just like really depressed all the time. But um, yeah, so I, I wrote a lot of different songs under, under her and it was, it, it was fun. I, I had a really fun time. I performed at Peppermint and um, a lot of fans came out and surprisingly so many people knew the words and I was just like oh my god what the heck this is crazy but it was fun and then I love music and I love creating I'm a creative at heart I love I love writing music I love creating and um I I came out with pleasure just recently I wanted something fun um light and um something that people can dance to it was a lot of fun and we did the music video um uh, Alexei Figurov, who's an amazing Russian director, came over to Los Angeles and we filmed it. And it was a lot of fun. You should go check it out. Pleasure. What's your writing process like when you're working on music? Um, I like to meditate before. So I have um, Reiki and stuff like that. I, I'm really into, I'm really into meditating. And, um, it's like the only thing that's really helped me like turn down all of the other noise. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I do that first. And then, um, after like an hour or two, I start writing and it's funny sometimes what comes out. I mean, sometimes it's like really, really fun, crazy things. Other times it's really depressive and it's, and it's like therapy for me. Um, yeah. And that's kind of my, my writing process. Do you feel easy when you're actually like writing a song or do you feel like it's hard to get it out? I'm, sometimes it just depends, you know, how connected you are to the muse, I think, <laughs> like how, you know, how inspired you are to write. Sometimes it's really difficult to write. And um, I had a lot of like writer's block um, with, with writing my book. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, I just, I just kind of like 
let it out, go with flow, and they don't force anything. But writing is really, just in general, writing. I, I really like writing. And you mentioned your book as well. Do you have an idea of when you feel like it'll be ready to come out? Is it gonna be like another year of writing? Yeah, it's taking longer than I wanted it to take. Um, I, I've had more experiences than I thought I had. <laughs> I'm like, ah, get this done in two weeks. <laughs> get it out. Um, it's been like a year now, a year and a half, um, and I'm not done yet. So I, I kind of like stopped trying to put a date on it um, just to manage expectations. But it's, it's definitely being worked on. I'm hoping it will be out in the next year, but we'll see. It takes so long, like just it's crazy. Takes like I had no concept. I again, I thought I was just gonna write <laughs> three pages, <laughs> but no, it's it's definitely gonna be a really great book, and it's it's gonna help a lot of people. Um, I think uh, heal and and hopefully save lives. I mean, I have so many people writing me telling me how. I've helped them, which is so crazy um, because I just like, I don't know. I just feel like I've been so into like my, my life and my traumas. I don't really see how it's affecting people necessarily, but it's affecting people in a really amazing way. And so many people are so supportive and um, just mutual. So yeah, I really believe that this book they're going to love, 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 love. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about the, the memoir? Um, no, I think you covered so much. I just want everybody to know that they're not alone. I mean, I'm kind of living proof that you can get through your darkest days and um, just just stay true to yourself and listen to yourself. And um, yeah, just just love yourself. That's the most important thing. That's great, Courtney. Thank you so much for talking with me today. You're so sweet. And you're, you really came up with the question. So I'm going to have to now. <laughs> but it's good. It's so important to get out there. So thank you for using your platform as well to spread awareness. It's really important.